We're going through the book of uh, Titus. And we're up to, well for today, Titus 2, 11 to 15. And what I'm going to do is just uh, read these few verses and then just take one particular thought and expound on it just a little. So, Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously and godly in the present age. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Titus 1.16 They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. He professed to know God, but by their deeds they deny him. Some years ago I was talking to a guy and Somehow, hungry, a nation of hungry came up, and uh, I said, Well, I've been hungry a few times. And he said, Oh, I speak some hu- Hungarian. I said, Oh, you do? But I didn't feel he was genuine. So I thought I'd test him out. I, I can only speak one word of Hungarian as I remember, <laughs> but I, I'll never forget the word. I said, uh, what, is hung- what is thank you in Hungarian? And he said, Oh, I. I don't remember, it's been a while, and I realised he had the profession, but he didn't have the deeds, didn't have the works to follow it up. (laughs) They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him. Titus, I'll just go through a few verses here. Titus chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible in all things to show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine dignified. An example of good deeds. I want to talk about being justified by works. We are strongly uh, believing and declaring that we're justified by faith, which is so true. But do you realize also the Bible speaks of being justified by deeds, as we will see. Uh, In Titus chapter 3, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. And then Titus 3, verse 8, this is a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things I want you to speak confidently, so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. And we know in Acts ten thirty eight it talks about Jesus who was anointed with the Holy Spirit 
He went about doing good. He went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil. So Jesus was an example for us. He was anointed of the Holy Spirit, but he was involved in good deeds, in good works. And as Christians, we are to be as well. And then in Matthew 6, verse 19, uh, Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, but where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus has urged us, told us to lay up treasure in heaven. I don't know whether you think about that often. I don't know whether we're doing this. I know that for Shirley and myself, we've endeavoured to be uh, sowing the right kind of seeds, to reap the right kind of harvest. And um, it's not that we have to rush to every need, but there are things that uh, God has ordained, he's prepared for us as believers to be involved in. So Jesus urged us to lay up treasure in heaven. And how do we do this? Any ideas? How do we lay up treasure in heaven? It's not a trick question. Oh yes, I see a hand up, a young lady over here. Yes, yes. By giving and by serving. Okay. Uh, obviously with the right attitude, right? Okay. Um, any other ways in which we can lay up treasure? Yes, sir. Oh, winning souls. Yes, 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 yes. And there's a particular uh, reward for who are involved in leading others to Christ. Yes. Any other thoughts? And if we haven't been thinking of this at all, uh, we need to be thinking of this. Every day we're sowing seeds in the field of our life. Good seeds bring a good harvest. Bad seeds bring a bad harvest. But Jesus told us to lay up treasure in heaven. I think of um, sometimes you know, people who are very prominent in the society who die, very wealthy who die, and some die unexpectedly. Uh, I met a man in India on one occasion who was a multi-billionaire, the richest man in his portion of India. And of course, all the politicians, and or many of the politicians and many others were, were seeking him, uh, wanting to gain something from uh, the money that he had. But sadly, one day he was killed in a, in a, a vehicle, uh, not a vehicle, uh, a plane crash. A man who had so much. And if we just think back, if we listen to the news uh, in recent months, uh, there have been people who, whether pop stars, whether people of prominence, uh, very wealthy people, suddenly an accident has come, a tragedy has come, and they've had to leave behind all their wealth, all their treasure, all their fame. So life is temporary, isn't it? And uh, what we gather to ourselves now, one day we have to say goodbye to it. And if we are wise, um, we will be laying up treasure in heaven. And we can do so, and these are some of the ways that we've, we've heard of today. God is keeping a record. Think of going to the bank and making a deposit. Every time we do a good work and doing it unto God with a right motivation, a right heart, 
we're like going to the bank and putting a deposit in our heavenly bank account. Well, it's nice to have money to put into our earthly bank account, isn't it? But really, it's so important that we are laying up treasure in heaven. Jesus told us to do it. Because the things of this world are temporal. They're here and so easily can be taken away. Think of the, the coronavirus that's touching the nations of the world. Um, people who have been well known and suddenly gone. Suddenly gone. Because life indeed is temporal. Uh, some of the last words recorded of Jesus in Revelation 22.12, he said, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to what he has done. Just within the last ten verses of the Bible, there are three statements that Jesus made, and one of them is, he's coming again that we know, and uh, he has his reward with him. To render to every man according to what he has done. Now if we've been sowing the right seeds in the field of our life, we're going to have a right harvest. If we've been sowing wrong seeds, uh, we're going to have a, have a bad harvest, and tragically, for eternity. For eternity. The necessity of faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. So, as believers, we know we're saved by the grace of God through faith and not of works. Romans 3:23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. We maintain a man is justified by faith apart from from the works of the Lord. And in Galatians 2.16, a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. Now, I've travelled in former years to different nations of the world, and I'm aware... Um, it's the same in every nation, that many, many people who are professing Christians are trusting in their works, trusting in their good works, trusting in their church attendance, trusting even in their giving and things like that. But we're not saved by works of the law, but we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. In my home city, I was just a young Christian, and there was a church um, opening up and... Uh, I thought I was driving past and I was popping and see it. And different members of the congregation were there and taking visitors in to um, have, have a display or have a look at what it was like inside. And a lady took me around. She said, um, this pew, my husband and I, we paid for that. I was very impressed. And this window, and she went to the back, this window, my husband and I, um, we paid for that window too. And I wasn't very impressed, really. Uh, she was boasting about what she had given to the church, what she had given to God. Now, it's good to give. It's good to, if they're saying we, we're offering the pews, this so much and this one so much and windows so much, and if people can give uh, unto God that way with the right motivation, fine. 
but I felt she was boasting about the contribution she had made to the church, uh, to God, to somehow appease God through her good works. Romans 4 speaks of Abraham. And verse 2, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. The Bible speaks of dead works in Hebrews chapter 6. What are dead works? Anything that we do that we are relying upon to gain favour with God and to gain eternal life. Eternal life is a gift. It's a gift. By grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And yet multitudes of people who say they are Christians um, are relying on their works. How do I know? Well, I've spoken to many of them over the years, and probably you have as well. And there was a time in my life before I was a Christian, I was a church member. My name was on a church roll, the local Presbyterian church. Uh, God began to convict me of my sin. And uh, I'd been going my own way. I was a Christ-blessed femur. I was just independent from God. But I began to be convicted of my sin, and I just knew that if I was to die, I was not ready to meet God. I just knew that if I was to die, I was, I was going to hell and not heaven. And I never heard that teaching in my church. It was a Presbyterian church. It was sort of a liberal church. And um, I was told, we were told, that because we had been baptized as infants, we were going to heaven when we die. But I just knew I wasn't ready for, to, to go to God. And, uh, but I started going back to church and I would think as the minister greeted me with his robes and everything else, nice smile. Uh, when I did go to church, not, I didn't go very many times. I was in a, playing in the dance band. We would play through till midnight and then often we had jam sessions afterwards. Um, as I went to church, I was thinking, the minister's happy to see me here. God must be happy to see me here as well. If I die this week, I'm going to heaven and not hell. That was my mentality. I was trusting what I was doing rather than what Jesus has done for us through his death and resurrection. But multitudes of people, multitudes of people are trusting as I trusted in what I was doing, thinking I could make God happy with me. James chapter 2. The book of James is a very interesting book. But James 2 verse 14 says, What Use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by a use, um, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. Interesting stuff, isn't it? If faith, if it has no works, is dead, being um, by itself. I say I've got a typing here. I think it says being useless. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. 
But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God, the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. I remember I was part of a team visiting some orchards and uh, witnessing among the, the workers, seasonal workers, and I spent some time talking to a young man that night. He was not a Christian. Um, he was not willing to become a Christian, but we had a good conversation, I thought, and I challenged him on his need of knowing Jesus. When I left the hall, this country hall, with others, others we were, there were a group of evangelists, and driving just not far from the hall, I saw a body lying in the ditch. And uh, the chest was bare. And I thought, oh, he'll get cold. So obviously I stopped. And then I discovered it was the man I had been speaking to that night. And he was dead. God had given him an opportunity just the hour or so before to hear the gospel and to respond to the gospel, and now he was dead. Just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So there's a sense in which we are justified by faith, but we're also justified by works. Our works coming out of the faith that we have in our hearts. Hebrews 10.24 Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Here's a very interesting statement. I'll read it more than once and some of you may, if you like it, you may want to write it down. We are justified by faith without works. We are justified by faith without works because there are no works we can do that will earn us righteousness, right standing with God. We are justified by faith without works because there are no works we can do that will earn us righteousness. But once we are justified by faith without works, we must then express our faith by our works or our faith is not valid. But once we are justified by faith without works, we must then express our faith by our works or our faith is not valid. And uh, Paul tells us how to receive the righteousness of God by faith. But James tells us what follows when we receive the righteousness of God. There are to be works following our faith. Uh, works that come out of the, the, the reality of Christ working in our lives. Now sometimes I've, I've spoken to folks as I've travelled and um, I haven't sensed that they really know Jesus. They may belong to a church. They may be involved in all sorts of church activities, but I question whether they really know God personally. 
And so I sometimes say this, and you may want to follow this as if I'm speaking to you in some other place, all right? Um, I'm testing the people out. I want to see what's here. I have two hours to live. I need to know God. I I need to be forgiven. I'm desperate. Can you help me? Can you help me? And sometimes people will say things like, well, pray. How do I pray? What do I say? But the person doesn't have a satisfactory answer. Then I say, I have only one hour to live. I'm just desperate. I'm really scared. I know I'm not right with God. I want to get right with God. Can you please help me? And they may say, well, maybe you need to see a priest or a pastor. I have 30 minutes to live. I'm desperate. You get the gist of the story? And I discover that some people, because they have not personally known God, they cannot lead someone else to that personal relationship with God. Will you say anything in your heart as I told that little story? <laughs> because we, we can have assurance of salvation. It's fantastic. I gave my life to Jesus. Oh, 20 years now? 30 years? No, it was more than 30. 35? Oh, we'd be married 55 years and it was before that. So I, I gave my life to Jesus probably three years before that. We'd been married 55 years. Now, I've lost my thought in saying that. <laughs> so I wanted to get it right. We had the right age. And by the way, Shirley's younger than me, in case you didn't know. She's much, much younger than me. <laughs> oh. I lost my thought for the moment. But, yes, Okay, did you hear that? Mm-hmm. Here we are. It's very good to do works, to be involved in it. But if we do it to be seen by men, of course men will see it, but if we boast seen by men, the scripture says, we have our reward. Yeah. So that would be a shame. So we try and do as much as we can without telling. Other people might tell other people, but that doesn't matter as long as we don't boast about what we've done. Yeah. Thank you, Mrs. Powell. <laughs> I did say that she's much younger than me, didn't I? <laughs> Two and a half years. Okay. Oh, Rahab. Interesting story, which I've been reading this last week in particular. Rahab the harlot was justified by works when she received the messages and sent them out another way. As Joshua sent two spies into the land to see the land, where they're going to be crossing nearby, um, and said, make sure you check out Jericho, the city of Jericho. And then and they go into the city, and they end up in Rahab's home, and um, she took them up on the roof. It was a city, it was a wall, part of the wall, and took them up on the roof, and she hid them in the, in the, the flax, the, the, you know, whatever you call it, the roof, yeah, yeah. And then the king of Jericho heard about it and uh, sent messengers and uh, where's 
where are these two men? They've come to spy out the land, and you know the story. Anyway, she actually told a lie. She said, well, I didn't know where they came from, and uh, they've already gone. Why don't you send out messengers on the, on the road and, and find them? And then she hid them in the roof. And just before the, the gate was closed, or, well, yeah, around that time, um, she let them down with a rope, and uh, she was wanting to, her, her life and her family's life to be protected because the fear of, of God had come upon the people because of what they had heard that God had done uh, in the Exodus and in the wilderness and so on. And she said, yes, when we take the city, have your family in your home. Don't leave. If you leave, uh, then your blood is on your own head. Uh, we will protect you. But I want you to take this rope, this cord, a red cord, and put it in the window. And when we come and we see that rope, then we will rescue you. But if you don't put the rope there, uh, you will not be rescued. And of course, red stands for blood. And uh, we know the blood of Jesus is the reason we can be saved. He gave his life for us. And so she did that. And she and her household were saved because she had faith and she also had works. She did what she was told to do and that was a result of, uh, and as a result, she was saved in her family, her father and mother and brothers and sisters and so on. By the way, in Joshua chapter 6, verse 26, it says this, Cursed before the Lord is the man who rises up and builds the city Jericho. And we know what happened, how Israelites had the priests, the trumpets going before them, blowing, and uh, no one said anything, because some of them might have said things like, this is crazy. <laughs> We're doing a second day, a third day, a fourth day, six times on the seventh day, this is ridiculous. Joshua said, don't say anything, don't say anything. And then they shouted, as he said, when you hear the ram's horns, shout, a great shout. And as they shouted, the wall, a great wall, it was a great wall, fell down and the Israelites went in and took the city. And because Rahab had placed that red cord in the window, uh, they were protected. They were protected. But the scripture goes on to say, Cursed before the Lord is the man who rises up and builds the city Jericho with the loss of his firstborn, he shall lay its foundation, and with the loss of his youngest son, he shall set up its gates. First Kings 16.34 A man called Heel, the Bethelite, built the city of Jericho again, began to rebuild. With the loss of his firstborn and youngest, thus fulfilling the prophecy of Joshua. That prophecy was spoken hundreds of years beforehand. I think 500 years beforehand. That curse came to pass. I've just been talking by email with a friend of mine in Texas. And um, he wrote, well, maybe 10 days ago, so excited. <clears throat> He's now 66. And his father died of cancer 
at 66. His grandfather died of cancer at 66. His uncle or uncles died at 66. The male members of the family died of cancer at 66. And he could so easily have said over the years, oh, it's getting closer and closer and closer. Maybe I'll die too. But he just he's a man of God. He works with YWAM. And uh, he trusted God. He has been declaring that he's free uh, from that particular type of cancer that took so many men in the family. And he was so pleased. He said, I've, I've come through it. I was 66 earlier in the year. Uh, very, very happy. Uh, curses. There can be family curses like that that come down. I was with a pastor in uh, Squim in Washington State, and he was excited too. He said, I was, uh, I've had family members saying to me, uh, you, you're going to have a heart attack when you're 40. And uh, he's a man of faith. He, re- he is a man of faith. And he said, I've been standing against that. I've been declaring protection from God. And he said, um, I'm now 42 and I haven't had a heart attack. But so many men in the family at 40, at 40, had a heart attack. These things can happen. Curses coming down a family line. Um, I worked with a pastor once and um, he would say, because men in his family uh, had heart attacks at... um, around 60 years of age, he was talking about having a heart attack. Well, he was the senior man, what do you say? And guess what happened? We were working with him. Oh, actually, just a little after we left there, he, he suddenly dropped dead one day, had a heart attack. We have to break curses. We have to break family curses that may be upon our family line coming down a father's line or a mother's line. But here Joshua predicted that if anyone rises up to rebuild the city, uh, they will do so with the loss of their uh, youngest son, their firstborn, and um, with, with two. What's that? Okay. I said the youngest. Oh, the oldest. Yeah, that's right. The one that's born first is the oldest, isn't it? Wow, what a, what a revelation. What a revelation. Abraham. We're reading the story of Abraham this week as well. Abraham justified by faith, but also justified by works. Hebrews 11. By faith, when he was tested, offered up Isaac... And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it is said, In Isaac your descendants will be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. We must have seen something recently on Pure Flicks or something about Abraham. And uh, sort of kind of living the story as he goes with, with his servants and goes with Isaac to Mount Moriah. Uh, with the wood, the son carrying the wood, the son carrying the cross. And uh, where's the sacrifice? God will provide the sacrifice. And we know that an altar was made. Isaac was bound to the altar. 
Abraham lifted up his hand with his knife to slay his son. Imagine how hard that must have been. He was you know, 90, 99, 100 when he had that child. And now he was going to do what God told him to do, which seemed a strange thing in the light of God would not want people to kill people. But when God saw what was in his heart, he called out, Stay, stop. I know what's in your heart now. Abraham was justified by faith, but also by works. Those works, the willingness to, to sacrifice his son, believing that God would raise him from the dead. And we know now, looking back, that Mount Moriah was where Jesus was crucified, where the son carried the wood, the cross, where he was nailed to the cross so that we could uh, be set free from the, the penalty of breaking the law. I mentioned this once before, but an evangelist called Reinhard Bonke died just, just recently, just a few months ago. One of the greatest evangelists of our generation. Is, I'd say as great as Billy Graham. Um, he would have crowds that would be a million or more coming to the meetings in the open air. He built the world's biggest tent. Um, they said it couldn't be done. It's impossible. He made inquiries and found it could be done. And he built this tent. It was the size of was it six football fields or something. A massive tent. But he only used it for the first crusade or series of meetings because it was too small. <laughs> and from then and he gave the tent away to another organization and from then on all the meetings were just in the open air without any covering whatsoever. He was a great evangelist with signs and wonders and miracles following his ministry. He has it was a video in those days but now it's probably in, in the CD form not CD or DVD form. Um, a pastor was involved, was driving and had a car crash. I think it was um, was it Nigeria or Ghana or somewhere like that. And the wheel went right into his chest and it killed him. But that man is alive today. In the video, you see the the wife, you see the pastor testifying, you see the death certificate. His wife was a woman of faith, Hebrews 11.35, and she laid a hold of what the word says, uh, talking of the heroines and heroes of faith. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Women received their dead back by resurrection. And she heard that Reinhard Bonke was in the area. He was coming to dedicate a big church. And so she kept the body and on the third day after her husband had died she drove his body to the church and sought to bring it inside so I guess Reinhard could pray for her dead husband. But she was forbidden to bring the body in the church. And so she went down below, down below the, 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 store, the story, I guess you'd say the, the basement, under the pulpit where Reinhard Bonke would have been preaching and she laid the body out on the table. And sometimes during that service, the power of God touched that dead, lifeless body and he was raised up. Incredible miracle. 
I thought, what a woman she was to have that level of faith, to lay a hold of the Word of God. It happened before, and we have it recorded in Hebrews chapter 11, women received back their dead by resurrection, and she had a hold of that promise for her husband. And uh, her husband and, and her travel now, they give testimony to what Jesus did for him, raising him from the dead. But thinking of that wife, what a great woman. She had faith, yes. She had more than faith. She had actions. <laughs> you might say she was justified by faith in one sense, but she was justified by works. That's a challenge for us. Let me just tell you some stories about a church that we have a link to in the States. I've been there, we have been there many times over the years. And in fact, if it wasn't for the border close, I'd probably be going there tomorrow. <laughs> um, we have some very dear friends in that church. I was there once in one service, and it's, it's a reasonably big church, and they have about either 60 or 80 acres, some beautiful buildings they have built by their own workmen. And a principal from one of the local schools came and to thank the church for painting a mural on the side of the, the auditorium. This church didn't have a very good reputation for certain reasons. Um, and needed a bit of cleaning up, and the church offered to paint a beautiful mural on the side of the auditorium. And it made a difference to that school. Um, with things that have happened, and what else, what else they would do, they have teams that go into the schools, elementary schools, once a week, and they befriend a child for, for a term or for the year, and they encourage that child. Normally the children, they, they, they take under their wing, like a big brother, big sister, uh, from poorer families. Maybe they don't have a father or a mother being raised by an uncle or a grandmother or something like that. Um, maybe they, they, well, they're the kind of kids they, they take a hold of. And it's been so successful, I've had other principals ask them to come into their school and do the same thing. So there she was that day in the school when I was visiting and thanking the church for their good deeds, <laughs> for the painting of that beautiful mural, uh, for the, the people they would send into uh, one girl or one woman with a girl, one man with a, um, a boy and mentoring them and encouraging them and even outside of school hours, inviting them home for Christmas and things like that. Talk about having faith in the heart but also actions. I remember seeing billboards in the city, billboards encouraging people not to abort their babies. And I tell you, it caused a stirring in the district right across America. I've seen articles in Christian magazines and that about that. Um, and so they, would, they offered to take babies uh, for women who were in prison or going into prison and when the child uh, was weaned, they would take the baby to one of the homes and, and care for it. And then <clears throat> if the mother did not want the baby, they would adopt that child in the church families or other Christian families in the area. Many children were adopted. There are kids in the church today, much older now, but through these actions of good works have made such a difference in the lives of some people. 
so they would have access into the prisons and talk to the women in the prisons. But sadly, some government officials became really aware of it and they stopped it from happening. Oh, first of all, they said, uh, you can't take kids into your home. You haven't been trained as, or you're not foster parents, not legally foster parents. So all those that were involved in that did the course with the, of the government and became foster parents. But then they said, well, you, and they made excuses. So finally they, they closed those, those people down doing the good works. Uh, in the meantime, there was a stirring in the nation because of what the church or churches were doing. Um, I, I'm talking about this particular church, not to compare our church to them because we cannot possibly be like them. They have a large property, they have many beautiful buildings um, and so on, but we're challenged. We're challenged when we know people and see what the church is doing. They have an emergency team that goes out every 911 call. The ambulance goes out, the police go out, the fire brigade go out, and a, a team from the church go out. And I say to myself, only in America, <laughs> only in America. If we had teams going out, you'd have to have a Hindu and, and, and have a Sikh and, and, and have a Muslim and, and, and have a Christian. But America is quite amazing in many ways. What do they do? They're there on standby to help the police. And when the situation has been dealt with, and there's been a murder or an accident, they're there to clean up the blood and do practical things. Their works, their works, their works. On the highway along the church, uh, for, for many miles, they have signs up, as they do in America. Um, the highway is cleaned by church glad tidings. And so from the city out to where the church is, just on the edge of the town, um, they are dedicated to clean up the roads, rubbish and things like that. And I tell you, these things impress me. And uh, on the property itself, they've got many men and women living uh, former prisoners are coming out of a, a, a alcoholic ministry, um, men and women that are homeless, and they're there mentoring them and training them. I mean, they're really they're hands-on in dealing with situations. I'm impressed. Ephesians 2.10 For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And that statement once again, we are justified by faith without works because there are no works we can do that will earn us righteousness. But once we are justified by faith without works, we must then express our faith by our works or our faith is not valid. I'm challenged. <laughs> Maybe you're challenged as well. We can't do what another church does, what Christians in other areas do, but we can do what we feel to do in this area and it was great that just um, on Thursday uh, a number of folks from the church were helping um, a non-Christian family make a move from one place to another and that's wonderful young people going out and doing things wonderful and so the challenge is let's keep it up and uh, God's prepared for us as believers those who've been justified by faith to be involved in good works and so expressing the faith that's in our hearts Okay, let's just bow our hearts and pray. I'm desperately ill. I've only got two hours to live. I need peace with God. Can, can, can you please help me? 
Well, uh, pray. <clears throat> How do I pray? I, I, I've got just one hour to live. I, I'm desperate. I'm, I'm so afraid. I, I know I'm not ready to meet God. Uh, can you help me? What would we say? If we had two hours to live, if we had an hour to live, if we had about 15 minutes to live, would we know what to do? If there should be someone here today and you don't know what to do, you don't know how you'd guide somebody, I want to encourage you to talk to someone before you leave and say, I'm like that person. Uh, I don't know God personally. I don't have any assurance of salvation. Now, can you please help me? I want to know God. As I heard the gospel nearly 60 years ago, having had a church background, but not really a Christian background, I was in a gathering where I've come in a great conviction of my sin. But I heard the gospel in that youth rally. I lifted my hand to God who seemed so far away and I said, Dear God, please forgive me all of my sins. Jesus, take over my life. It's yours. And I knew in my heart I had to give Jesus Christ everything. I had to surrender my life to him 100% and I was now in a place where I was willing to do that and to commence following him. Dear God, please forgive me all of my sins. Jesus, take over my life. It's yours. Father, we thank you. You're only a prayer away. And as we desire to know you and follow you, as we are willing to turn from going our own way and willing to put you first in our lives, we can pray a similar prayer. Dear God, please forgive me all of my sin. Jesus, take over my life. It's yours. And we thank you that as we do so in sincerity, a whole new way of life opens up before us. And we pass out of death into life, out of darkness into light. We thank you for what Jesus has done for us through his death and resurrection from the dead. And we thank you that in trusting him, reaching out to him by faith and surrendering to him by faith, we receive forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.